to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. verse that you just saw in this video is from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, and he tells him to train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. And so we've been taking this idea of training yourself and putting it in the context of physical training, of working out. And I love how the barbell drops in in that video, and it's like this massive weight. And there's no way that you could go up to that barbell and just pick it up. I mean, there's nobody in this room that could just go up and just pick up the barbell. It takes training. And so then this little barbell comes in. And the idea is that through discipline, through training, just like in working out, we strengthen ourselves physically when we apply spiritual disciplines to our lives. And so we've been looking at some of, what are these disciplines that help to train us in a spiritual sense? And we looked at the Bible, week one. And we said, you know, um, we need to read the Bible, but not just to learn more information. We need to read the Bible and apply it to our lives. And it, it, we would do well to spend time every day reading the Bible in the discipline of every day immersing ourselves in the scripture. We looked at prayer. And at the very basic level, you know, prayer is communicating with God. And we said, you know, we need to work on our prayer life and be in the disciplined habit of praying often, bringing our needs, our, our worship, bringing our requests before God, and to pray to Him continually. We also talked about fasting, and that was an interesting one. We heard from lots of people that they had never heard a, a sermon on fasting. But fasting is a spiritual discipline that can be really helpful in the area of seeking after God, and we learned about that. Last week we talked about solitude and removing ourselves from noise and spending time alone with God for the purpose of building that relationship with Him. And today we're going to be talking about worship. And he's talking about worship. Now, there was a, a country preacher one time who had a, a, a horse, and he sold it to his neighbor. But when he, when he went to his neighbor, he said, now, there's one thing before you just get on this horse and ride him, you need to know that I trained him a little bit differently. In fact, when you get on this horse, I've trained him that when you say, praise the Lord, the horse starts to go. And when you want him to stop, you have to say, Amen. Okay, So the neighbor gets on the horse to ride him for the first time, and he says, Praise the Lord! And the horse takes off, just running as fast as he can go. And the neighbor gets scared, and he starts pulling back on the reins, saying, Whoa, 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 stop! And he, the, the horse is not doing anything. He's just running as fast as he can. And the edge of a cliff is rapidly approaching. 
And then the neighbor remembers, oh, I have to say amen. And so he says, amen. And the horse puts on the brakes. I mean, just locks it up and comes to a sliding halt right at the edge of a cliff. And the neighbor says, praise the Lord. You see, what's interesting to me about that when we talk about worship is what else could the neighbor say? I mean, that is a natural response. And today we're going to see that worship is a natural response. When we see God at work in our lives, we will respond to him in worship. Now, a couple of disclaimers as we get started. First of all, I'm not going to be talking today about corporate worship. I mean, the Bible speaks about corporate worship and the value of coming together as a church, as the body of Christ, and lifting up the name of the Lord. And we experienced that this morning. We will will be singing again at the end of the service. And there's something very powerful. I'll be honest with you. And I love worshiping with this church. From From the time that I was a little boy, I mean, there are songs that, when I hear them, it reminds me of experiences of worship right here in just people lifting up their voices to the Lord. There's something very powerful about that. But this morning, I want to talk about personal worship. Not worshiping your person, but I'm talking about your personal times of worship. You personally, uh, in your relationship with God, worshiping Him. That's what we're talking about. Now, a second thing that I will say before we get started is that I am led first with my head, uh, intellectually. And so before uh, my heart responds to something, I have to, I have to have thought about it. It has to make sense. My wife is actually the opposite, and she would say that she's led first by her heart, and I know that there are some here that, that you would say that. But for me, I have to understand something, and so when I approach a topic like worship, I'm going to approach it first from this intellectual standpoint, okay? And so as we, as we begin here, I think we need to ask the question, what is worship, and try to understand it so that we can actually make it a part of our lives. And so that when we're um, experiencing it, we're experiencing the real deal. Okay? So the first thing that I would say about worship is that the essence of worship is revelation and response. The essence of worship is revelation and response. Now, I don't want you to, to get caught up on this word revelation. When I say the word revelation, I want you to think the word reveal. Okay? Revelation and response. And so when we're talking about uh, revelation, I want you to be thinking about reveal. What is it that God is revealing to us about himself, about his character? Now, to help us, I want to look at a few different scriptures here. And I'm going to ask you, as we read these scriptures... I want you to look for what is it about God's character or about his person that he's revealing in this scripture and what is the response that we read in the scripture, okay? First of all, this is uh, Psalm 95, 1 through 7. And it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, 
and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now, I'm I'm asking for some feedback here. Tell me, what are some things that are revealed about God's character in this passage? Shout them out to me. He's great. Okay, what else? He's the rock of our salvation. Okay, I'm just going to write Savior. Apologize for my handwriting. What else? He's, He's our maker. Okay. Anything else? He's a shepherd. He's patient. Yes, all of those things. And I would say that he's powerful. Did you you see hints of that as well? How God is so powerful. Now my question is, as these things are revealed, how does the psalmist tell us to respond? What is the response? Bow down. Okay, that's one. Yes, what else? Okay, joy. Yeah, I would say that. Sing a song. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Now, do you see this? How this response is an appropriate response because of all of these things that God revealed about his character. God's a great God, so bow down before him. Uh, You know, he's a savior and a maker and a shepherd. Sing songs of joy. Be thankful for that. He's powerful. Our response is driven by how God reveals himself to us. And sometimes it's not just necessarily God revealing something like brand new, like something that you're going to be shocked about. Like, I never knew that about God. It's just an awakening or realization again that this is who God is and it elicits a response from us. Check out this passage. This is from Daniel chapter 3. This is the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace. Okay. This is Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 through 30. Again, look for the aspects of God's character that are being revealed and the response of worship. Here goes. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed, and he ordered the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turban, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's, at the, the, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and governors and royal advisors crowded around them. 
And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed, and their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And they trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. All right. What, what are some aspects of God's character that are revealed in this story? It's trustworthy. Okay. He's a protector, yes. Ah, he's fireproof. He's fireproof. Good. He's most high. Okay. He puts us in hot spots. That's very true. He tests us. You know something else that's interesting? At the very end, he says, No other God can save. No other God can save like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. Now, what is the response? I'm particularly talking about the king here. What is the response in in worship? What's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he, he begins with praise. Now, what's interesting about this is that Nebuchadnezzar, is he a follower of God? No. In fact, why are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace in the first place? Because they aren't bowing down to his idol. Okay? So, what we're seeing here is a person who, for the first time, is turning their hearts towards God. This is a man who, just moments before, was commanding the nation to bow down to an idol, and now he has seen the miraculous power and trustworthiness and salvation of God, and what does he say? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now what's interesting to me, and I don't want to dwell on this, I wish I could actually, but what's interesting to me is the power of worship when it comes to those who are far from God. I mean, there are some that, that would say, I didn't have a clue who this God was, and then I experienced other believers in worship, and it changed their heart. It allowed them to see God as not some being that's far off, but allowed them to see God for who he truly is. And there are other expressions of worship here. There's a devotion. I mean, uh, one of the responses for for. The, the king was to devote himself and to make issue this decree. Um, but what I want you to see is that when a person has a realization, a revelation, even for the first time, of the character of God, their response is worship. Okay? Now this one will be a little bit easier. This is Psalm chapter 100. And it says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. 
It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. All right, what's the revelation? What's God revealing about himself here? Faithfulness? Yes, what else? He's loving. He's good. He's kind. Yes. He's a shepherd. Yeah. And what's the response? What are some of the responses? To worship him? Yes. In what ways? Singing? Sing a song. Be glad. Be glad. Which is an interesting one because you don't think about that. Like, just being glad is a response of worship. Yeah. What else? Thanks? Nobody wants to say the very first one that we see. What is it? Shout. Boy, I could really take you out of your comfort zone if I said, this morning we're going to shout praises to God. But he says that, you know, this is, this is an appropriate response because of all of these things, because of God's love that endures forever, his faithfulness that continues through all generations. Man, there's an appropriate response here to shout for joy, to shout for joy to the Lord. A couple more. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Some of you may have this verse, these verses memorized. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is the revelation of God? You see it at the very beginning. Mercy. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, and what is the response? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? This is your spiritual act of worship, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So, the idea here is that in view of God's mercy... Okay, God, you are, you've been so incredibly merciful to me. You, I do not deserve to, to even be here, yet you have shown such mercy to me. In view of that, my response, my spiritual act of worship is to offer my body as a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm yours. All of me, every part of me, I'm yours, and I want to honor you with my life. Do you see that? One final one here. This is in Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And this is John um, having a revelation, being, uh, his eyes are open to what's actually happening in heaven around the throne. Listen to how he describes it. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under his wings, and day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. Now what's interesting to me about this is the response is these creatures say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Not just holy, not just holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when does it say that they say this? When do these creatures say this? Constantly. It says that they, they proclaim this truth constantly. Okay? I actually wrote these in the wrong spot, actually. What is the revelation? The revelation is they are in God's holiness. They're right there beholding God's holiness. And their response is to continually to continually, without ceasing, say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, why do they continually respond with proclaiming this about God? Because he's continually revealing it. You see that? They can't help not say that. Because they are in the presence of God. Now, if this is happening right now around the throne of God, if God is being worshipped around His throne because He is continually revealing aspects of Himself to these creatures, if this worship is continual, doesn't that mean that you and I ought to recognize and respond to God in our lives? Now, I've got this, this suspicion that worship doesn't happen in our lives oftentimes because we aren't looking for God. In, in your life and in mine, when you think about it, where is the break? Is it that God isn't revealing Himself to us? Is it that God at any time is not being holy and not being powerful and not being kind and gracious and merciful? Or is it that we are choosing not to see it and respond to it? See, I think there's a breakdown, and it comes not that God isn't revealing Himself, but it comes here in this realization. And sometimes, friends, we see it, but we choose not to respond, or we don't take the initiative to respond, or we don't, we don't take the time to respond. And what I'm telling you this morning is that the recognizing and the responding is our worship. When I recognize and realize who God is and what He has done in my life and I, I, I notice how He's at work all around me and I respond to that, that is my worship. So you're going to see that this is so much more than just singing a few songs in church. This should be a part of our everyday life. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. In Hebrews 13. So friends, we need, to, we need to keep our eyes open for what God's doing around us. A couple more thoughts here. And you're going to see how this, 
This all fits together. The next thing I would say is this, that worship is an end in itself. Worship is an end in itself. Some of the other things that we've been talking about, for example, reading the scripture, that's not an end in itself. We don't read the Bible just to read the Bible. What's the end, the goal of reading our scripture? Worship, okay. To be transformed by it, right? To allow the words of the scripture, the very words of God, to make their way into our lives so that we can be changed. And we just read in Romans uh, chapter 12 that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And part of that comes from reading the scripture. So the goal of reading the scripture, the end of it, is transformation. Same thing with prayer. Prayer is not an end in itself. Prayer is a means by which we can know God better and to communicate with him and to ask for you know, our needs, ask for our daily bread, to worship him. But prayer is not an end in itself. In fact, any of these things that we've talked about are not ends in, the, in and of themselves, but rather means to an end, except for worship. And worship, friends, is a, it's an end in and of itself. It's what you were created to do. It's what you will do eternally. Now, what's interesting about this is that when we worship, we're doing an eternal activity. We're joining in with an anthem, a song, a declaration of the greatness of God that never stops. And so when we worship, we're joining in with this eternal activity. I would also say this, that worship is from the heart, not the action. Worship is from the heart, not the action. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus um, made it very clear how we should worship. And he said this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now this is kind of an interesting it's kind of an interesting way that Jesus described that. Why did he say those two things, spirit and in truth? Well, I think it's helpful for us to think what is he not saying? Or what's the opposite? What is he coming up against? He says, you should worship me in spirit and in truth. Well, think about the, the, the opposites of those things. What's the opposite of worshiping God in spirit? Well, it would be worshiping God in, in the flesh. Another way that you can think of that would be to, to, to simply worship God with our actions. To worship God in the flesh. What would be the opposite of worshiping God in truth? A lie. Or another word that we might use would be hypocrite. You know, God is not interested in us performing acts, worshiping Him in the flesh, as hypocrites, as a big lie. What God is really interested in is worshipers who will worship in spirits and in truth. Jesus uh, was talking to a bunch of Pharisees religious leaders of his day, and he came at them with some pretty harsh words in uh, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said this, These people 
honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, what Jesus is quoting here is actually a passage from the book of Isaiah. And what's so interesting is when you read the emphasis of Christ here, he, he's interested in our hearts. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so what does that lead to? It, their worship is in vain because their teachings are just rules taught by men. You see, Jesus says, God is more interested in our hearts than our actions. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth, not just with our actions and not with a heart of hypocrisy. But what's so interesting is the people that he is talking to, these Pharisees, are worshiping God under the law. And where did the law come from? Well, God gave the Jewish people the law. And so in following the law, in going through the motions, in doing the things that God prescribed for them to do, you would think that God would just be like, you guys are getting it. You're doing all the things that I told you. But God has always been more interested than in our hearts than our, in our actions alone. I just want to read one quick passage from Amos chapter 5. This is the, the prophet Amos speaking to the nation of Israel. And these are the words of God that Amos is speaking to the nation. And he says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Man, these are harsh words, right? Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, that's, that's harsh words, isn't it? But what's the point? The point is, if you do all of the right things on the outside, in a physical sense, and your heart isn't in it, is God pleased with that? No. So if you sing all the words to the songs or if you lift your hands in worship or you fall on your face before the Lord and all that is is some outward thing, some physical expression, and your heart is not worshiping God in spirit and in truth, God's not pleased with it. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 51. He said, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You hear that? Now, the psalmist recognized what God was really after was not our sacrifice, not our offering, not the external, but what he was really interested in is our hearts. Now, let me be clear. Worship involves activity. It does. In the examples of worship that we see in Scripture, our activity, um, we, we listed some of those, bowing, singing, 
you know, giving thanks, proclaiming. We read other expressions of worship, um, you know, praying, lifting up your hands, shouting, uh, dancing. Boy, that's one we could practice this morning, right? Dancing before the Lord. But all of these things, we can do them and our heart not be in the right place. And this is not something that God wants for us. He wants our hearts to express themselves to him in worship. So another way of saying this is, worship is the substance, not the container. So I brought some things with me. Worship is the substance, not the container. Here is a pitcher of water. And I want you to realize and recognize that in this illustration, worship is the water. It's the substance. And I want to take my worship to the Lord. I want him to know how I feel. I want him to know what he means to me. I want him to know, what, you know that I am responding to whatever it is that he's revealed to me in my life. But worship is the substance, not the container. And there are lots of different containers I brought some with me. Here's just a clear plastic cup. All right. Now let's say that this clear plastic cup represents kind of our default mode of worship, which for many is singing a song. Okay. So let's say that God reveals to you, you just get overwhelmed by God's grace in your life. You just, you cannot believe how God would save a wretch like you. And so your response to that revelation of God's grace is to bust out in amazing grace. And you're singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And you take your worship to God. What was the container? The container was the song. What was the worship? The expression of our heart. You see that? So a song can be a useful container for our worship. But there are others. For example, here's a coffee cup. Let's say that you're having your uh, morning devotional time, like we talked about last week, time of solitude. And as you are, as you're, uh, you know, spending time alone with the Lord, you, know, you are just so thankful. You're so thankful. And you need to express that thanksgiving, you know, of, of God's provision in your life. And you need to respond in thanksgiving. A way that you can do that is to journal something. You know, you can take out your notebook and you can write it down. And you can start listing all the things that you're thankful for. And guess what? It's an expression of your heart to God. Now, was the journaling in and of itself the worship? No. The worship was the expression of your heart and the journaling was the, the container that allowed you to take that to God. There's a few more. What about this one? This one certainly isn't pretty. Just functional, right? I'm going to say that this represents weeping or grieving. Okay? Now, we read an example of this in Job chapter 1, where Job finds out that his entire family had just been killed. And it says that he put on sackcloth and uh, he laid out on the ground. 
And his response in his weeping was, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so even in Job's weeping or his crying, his mourning, it became the container that he could take his worship to God. The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a couple others. Like, what about, what about these? I'll use these together. This is kind of a pretty one. I would say that this would represent a feminine expression. This would be a more manly expression, right? These are just some vases. I would say that this would, would represent, what about a, a response through poetry or, or songwriting? And we see a, clear examples of that in Scripture. I would also remind you that poetry is not just a feminine expression. Who wrote most of the Psalms? Right? Now, what, why are these helpful vehicles? Why are these helpful containers for our worship? Well, just read the Psalms. You read about how David was impressed with these different attributes of God, and so he would just write. Last week we looked at one of the, one of the Psalms, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he writes this beautiful poetry as he's impressed with the care and the personal nature of God. I have one more. You know what this is? Right? And sometimes, this is, Roy reminded me that there are some people listening online, so it's like, you've got to tell them what you're holding or they won't know. Okay, this is an ice cream scooper. And I love ice cream scoopers because when you break out an ice cream scooper, you're going to serve ice cream, right? But this doesn't necessarily look like a good container to take our worship to God. But in fact, serving is one of the most mentioned ways to worship God in the Bible. In fact, there's, there's really three Hebrew words that are translated as worship, and one of those words can also be translated as to serve. So, uh, if you think about it, Jesus, Jesus also said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do unto me. And so, an expression of our worship to God can be in the way that we serve and the way that we love others. So don't just blow off the, you know, the, the ask that, hey, we need a substitute teacher to teach some kids. You know, if, um, if you're just doing it, you know, to, to, to uh, you, know, as an, you know, this act, this physical thing, that's one thing. But if you want to serve the Lord and give back in a way that he's, you know, he's been so good to you, and somebody poured into your life at one point, if you want to respond to him and to serve it's a wonderful expression of worship. And finally, I would say this. Worship thrives when our blinders are removed. Worship thrives when our blinders are removed. Now, it's the Thanksgiving season, and I know that um, you know, whenever I pull up uh, my Facebook page, the, you know, lots of my Facebook friends are doing a, um, like a, a, a 30 days of Thanksgiving and so every day they will, uh, they'll write something, post something that they're thankful for. 
You, you may have remembered this. This is such a good practice to do in your life, just to, to think of things that you're thankful for. And what's so interesting is that when you sit down and you're actually thinking about things that you're thankful for, is it hard to come up with those things? Typically, it's not. And you can write, sit down and start listing them. And, you know, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my job. We're thankful for our house. We're thankful for the provision of God. And you start listing these things out, and pretty soon you have a pretty long list. Now, how did your heart respond in thanksgiving? How did you realize that? You were looking for it. You were looking for it. And I think that the, the, the biggest reason that we don't respond in worship to God continually is because we aren't looking for God continually. And I think that if we take the blinders off and we intentionally set our mind to, where is God around me? I want to respond to what he's doing in the world. You're going to see him in places that you never expected. It might be as your children are playing. They're laughing and they're having a good time and you just get that overwhelming sense of thankfulness that God gave you some healthy kids and that they're happy and strong. Now, what is the response? Do you have to break out in song right there? No, praise God from... No, you don't. And remember, the, the, the response isn't in the, the, the container itself. It's in the substance in the container. And so your container in that moment might just be a smile on your face. It might just be, God, thank you know, in that inward prayer, you know, God, thank you so much. You've been so good to me. It's that little response of worship. Now, it might be when you're, you know, you're rolling down your combine, you know, and there's actually corn going into the bin in the back. You're just overwhelmed with that sense of, God, you're providing for me. I mean, taken for granted that, you know, I make this stuff grow, but I don't. You made this grow, and right now you are providing for me. And so what's the response? I mean, are you going to stop the combine and just go lay prostrate out on the ground? Like, no, probably not. But the expression of worship, that container, could be something like, Lord, thank you. you know, just voicing it. You could sing a song, or you could... You could just pause and just have that moment of, gosh, God, you're good. Thank you. you know, it could be while you're driving and you notice the beauty of creation and you're just overwhelmed by that. You might crank Caleb up a little bit louder and just start singing so it kind of drowns out your bad voice or whatever. But, you know, it's just, just worshiping God. So do you see how if those blinders are removed and you're taking the time to look around you and notice God how it's not hard to see him at work. It's not hard to see him. So as we close, the, the worship team's going to come up and we're going we're gonna to sing a final song. And I'd encourage you as we sing this final song, there's wonderful, wonderful lyrics. But I want you to look at what is it about God and how can I respond to him even during this song? And we're going to leave, and I'd encourage you to stay around for, some, uh, for a, a carry-in meal. And we're going to have some good food and fellowship with, with, with other people. I'd encourage you to, to meet someone new or to sit with some old friends. And um, even then, 
be thinking, you know, God, you have put me in a position in a good church. Not a perfect church, but in a good church. And there's these people around me who love me and care and we're, we, can, we can share meals together. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. And we can give God thanks for that right there in that moment. And then as you leave, I'd encourage you, um, if you're a part of a group as you meet this week, you're going to be talking more about what it means to, to worship personally. And there's some practical advice, but if you aren't part of a group, I'd encourage you to go to our website, northhillsbaptist.net, and to, to click on a link that says Second Look. And there's a video on there. It's about 15 minutes long that talks about some more practical ways that we can make worship a part of our everyday lives. So as we close, the ushers are going to come forward and take up our morning offering. And this is an act of worship. This is for those who have recognized that God is the provider and the giver of all good things. And it's a way for them to express thanks back to God and to support the ministry here at North Hills and around the world. And so I'd encourage you to stand to your feet as the plate goes around and please drop those connect cards in the offering plate as it goes by.